Welcome to This Week in Local, a Locology podcast featuring lively conversations about the local digital ecosystem, hosted by Locology analysts Mike Bolin and Charles Lachlan. Hello, and welcome to This Week in Local. I'm Charles Lachlan, Senior Analyst at Locology, joined by my colleague, Mike Boland. Mike, how are you doing today? Hey, Charlie, doing well. So what's on your mind? So, um, Charlie, you may remember that Google got sort of lots of flack in the sort of early stages of the current, you know, what I'll call AI hype cycle. Um, mm-hmm. And it got lots of flack for sort of being late to the game. And it was very early and a lot of people were pointing to what Microsoft was doing. Microsoft was very ambitious. They were out of the gate first and everyone was saying, you know, where is Google? Um, And I think you may remember at the time we asserted that, you know, don't worry, Google's going to be just fine. Like they're they're better positioned than anyone um, for AI. And I'll, I'll get into why in a minute. Um, but then since then, you know, we, we were um, sort of right in that respect because we saw Google roll out a lot of AI-based utilities and updates. We covered all these on Locology Insider if anyone's interested in reading about them. There's multi-search and conversational SERPs and search generative experience. We talked about that one on a previous episode. Uh, automatic, automatically generated assets or ACA. That last one, for instance, allows search marketers to use various AI tools to automate, you know, all the sort of SEO elements they come up with, like, you know, uh, page meta descriptions, for example. So anyway, a lot of stuff they've done since then. Um, And this all bubbled up uh, this week because we were watching as Google um, did its uh, Made by Google uh, event, which was centered around the Pixel 8, its latest sort of flagship uh, smartphone hardware. Um, and if you sort of squinted your eyes during this event, you would think it was an AI event and not a Pixel 8 event. And I think that's just a mark of like the world we let now live in. It was just so much AI. Um, and I think this really demonstrates uh, what we said at the time, which is that Google is one going to be just fine and just just wait and see. They're going to start to roll out AI in several places. There are so many Google products that are sort of applicable to AI. Plus, Google's just sitting on this strong foundation of AI research and underlying technology. They, they were sort of uh, pioneers in Transformer. Transformer is essentially the T in chat, chat GPT. So though Microsoft was out of the gate first, you know, again, Google's going to be fine. So using this week's uh, event as an example, I'll just roll through a few of them real quick. Uh, Google Assistant now has uh, sort of Bard integrated. This one comes from the didn't that already happen department when I read it. Uh, but, you know, Google Assistant essentially is Bard enabled so it can handle essentially a broader range of natural language questions and more intelligent sort of GPT based answers. Another one is Google Assistant Summary. So Google Assistant can now summarize web pages. So before what it did was essentially read web pages, but it was sort of a disjointed experience for the user because they read everything, right? They read the stuff above and below a news article, ads, everything was just sort of out of context. This new very sort of Google-ish experimental um, early release feature is now going to start to summarize those pages. So we're going to have to see that prove itself in the wild. A lot of question marks are on that one. Another one is they they announced uh, AI call screening. This one's interesting. This is essentially like, you know, the phone tree or the IVR integ- um, interactive voice response systems of like companies. This essentially gives all of us our own personalized IVR system. So it essentially has this um, uh, chat bot, voice based chat bot 
ask the the incoming caller questions, you know, press two if like this, that, and then it sort of records the answers and uh, allows the the user to sort of get final judgment if they want to take that call or call that person back. But that one's kind of interesting too. Uh, Pixel Buds Pro, they're sort of the their answer to AirPods now have this sort of conversation detection feature, which AirPods already have, which essentially read the room, so to speak. They hear all the ambient sort of sounds and they adjust the settings accordingly in terms of noise cancellation and blah, blah, blah. Uh, AI photo editing was another thing they launched. Um, the Google sort of magic editor tool is now um, has, a, has a lot more sort of easy features to just sort of, you know, erase photo elements and clear up zoomed in photos and all kinds of cool AI based um, things in photos. Um, and then lastly, an on-device AI where the the sort of AI, generative AI models that, that Google is providing are on-device, which basically means better performance and, and security. So um, in closing, um, it's just another sort of testament that we're going to see a lot more of these. Uh, back to our earlier assertion that Google is you know going to be doing a lot. Um, in AI. And again, there are so many products. They've only scratched the surface. All all the products they have and all the features they have that are sort of AI applicable. We're going to see those continue to roll out. Um, and the point here is that, you know, like those sort of early detractors that were like, where's Google? You know, Microsoft is winning this after like week two. You know, this is going to be a long game. It's going to be won over a matter of years and not weeks. So it's going to be fun to watch all this. And that's what we're looking at today. So uh, my IVR is I just don't answer my phone. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so so the thing that jumps to mind for me is, is AI the thing that Google thinks will help them win in devices over Apple? Yeah, interesting. So, well, first of all, panning back, Google's strategy with devices is slightly different than Apple. Devices mm -hmm. and hardware is Apple's sort of core revenue stream. So they're out there to sell yeah. you a device. What right. Google's trying to do is have the device sort of be a Trojan horse for all right. of its products. Um, and then also there's a sort of secondary effect, which is they want to put out the the best sort of flagship phone that is sort of a proof of concept or a, a beacon or a North Star you know, I'm not sure if those are the right metaphors for the rest of the third My party ecosystem. My favorite metaphor is North Star these days. Yeah, there you go. The so, um, yeah. you know, all, all of the Samsungs of the world and, and those that are building devices based on Android, it's sort of, it's a reference design. That's the word I was looking for. It's a reference okay. design for the rest of the world. Like this is the best thing you can do with Android. Um, and they put that forward as sort of like the, you know, the reference design. So there's a few... They're not necessarily trying to beat Apple in selling hardware, but they want their phones out there as much as possible because, again, that Trojan horse for all of Google services comes along We're, with the sort device. Of the same thing, isn't it? And ultimately, yeah. I mean, that's that's a good point. I mean, maybe the device isn't the profit center, but it's a yeah. delivery mechanism for their profit centers. The, right? the means so, to getting there is is, yeah. is to outsell so more Apple. More phones in more hands. Exactly. Yeah. It, that's that's yeah. Exactly achieves right. their objectives. Therefore, is AI yeah. the thing that gets more phones in more hands? Yes. And I think another point there, and to get more phones in more hands, the the sort of the the battle for those hands has become in the last five years the camera. Um, because right. all other sort of smartphone features have sort of been commoditized. They've gotten to a certain maturity in terms of speed and, and weight and thin. The, the camera is the one thing that continues to improve cycle after cycle. And that's the arms race between the iPhone and Android-based devices, whether it be mm -hmm. Samsung or Pixel, Google Pixel devices. It's the camera. So yeah. as I mentioned, Google is 
using AI as a competitive differentiator for its camera features, whether it be sort of some of the photo editing features, a lot of the advancements in, and I say this as like a photography nerd, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of the advancements in camera-based photography over the last 10 years have been to sort of... um, to engineer around some physical constraints. Like you can't get sort of focal range, which is something that gives you that just great sort of background blur effect and things like that. You, you need, you've always needed these sort of physical attributes, like a long lens, for example, and and software and AI has been able to sort of get around that challenge by sort of hacking together the same end by a different means, which is essentially to take several photos to get several different focal lengths and then just sort of like add them together. Like, you know, a good example of that is um, Apple's portrait mode. You know, it, it, it basically achieves the effect of what you needed a high-end camera and a high-end lens for DSLRs like, you know, 10 years ago can now be done with your phone through software. And AI is the thing running all of that. So, so that's mm-hmm. a long-winded way to answer your question, Charlie, that yes, AI is being used not only in all these features I mentioned, but the one sort of battleground for smartphone differentiation, which is the camera and all those AI features that are making it so cool. Okay. Do you think they're going to be successful with this? Um, I think so. I mean, it's sort of like this horse race of, Mm -hmm. you know, Apple sort of inches ahead in their latest device. Um, The Pixel 8 Pro, the things that they've done with photography in this model um, are are pretty cool and, and edges it slightly above Apple. Um, And then also, I think just having those sort of those integrated functions that Google has that actually beat Apple in a lot of respects. So I mentioned Google Assistant a few times. The fact that they own the hardware and the software, which, by the way, is a very Apple-y type of thing to have that vertical integration, um, means that you can have Google Assistant, you can have a button for it, you can have it just be like called up very easily as opposed to just some like third-party app. Um, And in that respect, Assistant blows Siri out of the water. Um, So that's just one example. They're they're basically fighting all these little battles in these little function, whether it be a voice AI assistant, whether it be the camera, you know, what I just mentioned for those two functions, you know, can be said for like six or seven other things. And they're just, you know, battling on each of those fronts separately. Um, But I think that, um, you know, to answer your question, again, in a long winded way, I think they very much can pull it off because they're beating Apple in a few of these key functions, one being an AI assistant, um, Google Assistant versus Siri, the other one being the camera, where right now they're ahead. But again, that's going to continue to be a, a horse race that just sort of edges okay, forward. Okay. So it's not so much about the camera. It's about everything on the camera <laughs> that could be accessed yeah, through yeah, the yeah. camera. So yeah. fair enough. So was this more about Microsoft or more about Apple, this event? I mean, in terms of their competitive lens. Yeah, I know you're not inside their heads, but what's your sense of it? I think both. I think that's, uh, sorry if that's a cop-out answer, but I think both because what Google is doing when it comes to that, those sort of AI-based tools, um, you know, they're fighting Microsoft in terms of like Bing chat. Um, Uh They're fighting Apple in terms of the camera. So I think that they're essentially fighting two Today was more about Apple. Fair yeah. enough. I would say so. Okay. I would say this week's announcements were more about Apple. Okay. That, that makes sense to me. Okay. Let's uh, shift gears. I'm going to talk about something. Um, I was looking up old timey uh, metaphors before we got on here to make sure I used them correctly. I'm Is it going North to- Star? <laughs> no. I hate that one. I don't know why, but whenever I hear somebody say this, you know, XYZ is my North Star, it, it's like nails on the chalkboard for me. And I just don't know why, but it is. Right. Anyway, so I'm going to bring out one from like the 50s. Hobby horse. One of my hobby horses 
is payments and buy now, pay later. I'm going to drag that hobby horse out for another five minutes today because I want to talk about something that I noticed a couple of weeks ago, haven't really had time to talk about it on the podcast, and that is revenue diversification within what is, I think, fair to say a largely commoditized buy now, pay later space. So if you look at, you know, a firm Klarna Afterpay, which is part of Square, Block, whatever you want to call it, um, Basically, they all do the same thing, you know, buy a pair of pants, pay in four installments, blah, blah, blah. Some charge interest, some charge late fees, some charge both. They've all kind of got the same product. It's it's nailed. It's a solved problem. It's a commodity. You can essentially get the same thing everywhere. Now, so how do these brands then differentiate themselves other than who the, which celebrity sponsor they have and, you know, whether it's Paris Hilton or uh, uh, ASAP Rocky, I forget what... Who, who had who? <laughs> They've all got celebrity sponsors, or most of them do. Lorna's yeah. leaned harder into that. But anyway, so what we're starting to see are things popping up that fall under the sort of broad umbrella of revenue diversification and or just general diversification. How do you decommoditize what is becoming a commodity, a commodity that is controversial? We've talked about the controversies. That's kind of not what I'm uh, interested in today. What we've seen are a couple of interesting things. One, Klarna, it's not announced. These are two things that are not official yet. One is that Klarna might launch a retail media network, which kind of pushes it out into a different space. And then Afterpay, excuse me, Affirm, not Afterpay, Affirm looks like it's going to launch a subscription product within its service. So a firm has already done some things to diversify. It has a savings program. I don't know how many people deposit their savings into a firm savings. I'm guessing they then generally use that to pay off their buy now, pay later accounts if they even have savings in there. That is I something I don't know for real. I'm just guessing on that one. So anyway, but they have a subscription product. And the benefit is essentially if you pay $7.99 a month, you get loans up to a certain amount interest-free. And it just seemed like the least compelling subscription product I've ever seen, short of anything X has done, right? And so I don't know if they're going to get anywhere with that. It was floated. I think it was, quote, unquote, discovered by Bloomberg. I don't know if it was discovered like the way a bowling, you discover a bowling ball that was rolled past you. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, anyway, it was broken by Bloomberg, you know, covered in payments. But it hasn't been confirmed by the company. But I think if it's out there, it's probably going to happen. We'll see. We'll we'll keep an eye on that one. But it just seemed like seven ninety. Who's going to pay seven ninety nine a month for access to interest free loans? You'd have to do the math on whether you're actually spending more on the subscription than you are on interest. I I, I don't really know. Um, anyway, so so it's just kind of interesting that these companies that um, started out just you know paying for boom. Uh, we kind of figured out the mechanics of doing that. Now there's so many brands under so much pressure. Uh, to give you a sense of the pressure, uh, Block's current market cap is equal to, essentially equal to, what they paid for Afterpay. So their entire corporate market capitalization is now worth what they paid in stock. Granted, I think it was all stock uh, for what is now their buy now pay later acquisition. So things you know aren't going swimmingly, I guess. Uh, so they need to find ways to diversify not just revenue, but just the brand, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are a couple of ways that they're looking at doing so. And I think if you do look at these platforms, they, they're increasingly looking like shopping engines or shopping sites 
e-commerce sites where you go on, you click on uh, luxury goods or you click on electronics and you can shop. You know, Klarna has like 500,000 merchant relationships. So they basically have become like little Amazon type uh, platforms. So uh, it'd be interesting to see if any of these things get legs. So anyway, that was my, uh, my hobby horse or the dead horse that I occasionally drag out to beat once or twice more. So the diversification angle is interesting. I think the, there, there are two things there. One is the low-hanging fruit I think is interesting where they're becoming e-commerce destinations because if you think about it, they themselves are dispersed and distributed as you know in the checkout flows of all of these different e-commerce sites, whether right. they be first-party retailers or e-tailers or just like it's aggregators, both. Amazon. Yeah, it's both. Yeah. Yeah. So it's both. So they are like embedded in all these places. So it would make sense that they could just sort of inverse that and then just take all those relationships and, and feed it back into their own destination of, you know, a, a place where, you know, people can discover products. And, 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 and I think that's out. the direction they want to take. At least Klarna yeah. seems to be. It now, wants now to become, in that situation- yeah. They own the environment so they can shut out their competitors because when you go to any of these sort of third-party retailer sites, they give you six or seven options, don't they? And in yeah. this case, they own the environment. They can say, well, you could, you, Klarna is your only option. You know, And there are lead um, so, funnels to these businesses as well. Yeah, you know, exactly. So, well, there's probably yeah. affiliate revenue to your point yeah. about revenue diversification. So that's that's one thing. I think that's interesting. And that's probably the lower hanging fruit. The other one you said that like um, a, a flag went up for me as just being sort of interesting is retail media networks, because we're seeing those really take off. And if you're going to diversify, mm-hmm. you might as well go into a growth area. Now, when we see right. retail media, usually it's the retailer itself. Like an example is like Lowe's One Roof Network. Right. And it's very logical because you have all of this sort of ad inventory in and around your store. It's a sunk cost. You have all of this, you have end caps, you have the like sort of checkout aisle, flat screen TVs, you have all yeah. this inventory and you can sort of monetize that with all the engaged eyeballs through right. your just sort of the brands you have in your store. Right, or right. So how do you do that in an revenue. e-commerce environment? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the beauty yeah. of that is like, we always talk about like proximity to the point of sale. It doesn't get much closer to the point of sale than like, you know, in the store. Payments. Um, now, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So so how yeah. would, I guess what I'm asking is, or just speculating, how would a Klarna, for example, do this? Would they white label it and say, here's our system and, you know, Lowe's or Home Depot or Walmart or whoever, like just use our system as opposed to building from scratch? Um, or are they, you know, I'm wondering where they sit in that sort of stack. Yeah, I don't know what their plan is. What I would suspect is Klarna's kind of a one of the, this is my inference on their branding strategy is that they're kind of a young and hip brand, you know, and so yeah. they might be well positioned to deliver and they do pretty good, you know, visual branding, you know, on their website and elsewhere. Sure. Um, More so than all the other BNPLs to my eye. And Mm -hmm. I could see them translating that, the quality of that brand into the right kind of retail environment. Now, what sure. they're actually planning, I'm not entirely sure. It was now, it would make sense for by them. the CMO recently in a conversation that I was reading <laughs> earlier yeah, today right. and I'm planning on writing about it. So I don't know what the details of what they're planning, but I think the idea that they're thinking about how, what else do we do? We have this brand, we have all these merchants, we have millions of transactions that we're processing. We have repeat customers with great demos. How do we pull all that together into another revenue stream? 
And this seems like one way to do it, but I'm not sure of the mechanics of it. Are there going to be Klarna terminals, you know, in, uh, you know, name a shop that young people shop in. I don't really know any yeah. of this stuff. So at the so, very so, least, yeah, at yeah. the very least, it would make sense for them be a media buyer in that yes. retail media environment. Yes. Like, so the ads you see on the right, the they would put, put Klarna ads on someone yeah, else's like use, network. Use yeah. Klarna. You're about to check out. Use Klarna. That um, makes perfect sense. That is not yeah. a revenue stream for them. That is a media channel. Oh yeah, that's them, that's right? them yeah. buying. But you can combine yeah. the two ideas where if they own the retail media network, they're going to have a bunch of ads that they sort of provision, but then their own sort of right. house ads that they throw in the mix. I would of, imagine you know. that the idea of the retail media network would be, yeah, I mean to generate revenue, but also to drive higher conversion. You know, and that's yeah, right. So, any rate, that was my uh, the. I, I think even though I'm, I still thought, you know, I wasn't getting enough information on what the plan is, if there is really a plan other than, and I, uh, it might be a trial balloon at most at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not sure what the execution plan is, but my guess is it's on a drawing board somewhere in Stockholm where Klarna is based. Yeah. Um, I feel that has more opportunity than the subscription thing that a firm is doing, which feels a bit uh, like grasping at straws. Um, yeah, I just yeah. don't get the value prop of that one at all. Um, Interesting. If it's launched, we'll see if it works. I could be wrong. I'm often wrong. But that one feels less compelling than the potential of a Klarna retail network, retail media network or retail media play of some kind, given I think that Klarna has built an excellent brand. You know? Um, anyway, that's I guess enough on that one. Mike, who do you think won the week? Yeah, so I'm going to uh, mention Microsoft. We talked about Microsoft earlier, and its early work in AI was out of the gate before Google, as I mentioned. Uh, that has given it a certain degree of momentum. When it's out there trying to sort of land big deals for third parties and tech providers to sort of you know, use their technology. So in the past, that had been Google versus Microsoft winning contracts for sort of using their search APIs, Bing versus Google, to sort of run a site's search API. Now that AI is in the mix, um, Microsoft has been winning a lot of notable deals. The first big one was Netflix. And then in the past week, this is why I'm mentioning them now, they won two big deals to run the sort of chatbot functionality utilizing their, um, essentially their API for Bing chat and, and ad serving. For one being meta um, in their sort of chatbot functionality that runs across uh, WhatsApp um, and Instagram and Messenger. Um, and then the second one was uh, Snap. Snap's my AI tool, which is its tool that lets users sort of just sort of ask questions, um, you know, general interest questions or what, what should I, where can I get some sushi tonight? Uh, mm -hmm. Stuff like that. So Microsoft won the contract to essentially uh, utilize their ads for chat API. So the point is they are winning these deals. They're developing competency around sort of ad serving, not just in, again, traditionally sort of search advertising. And that's what these are. These are search advertisers, but in a different context in these sort of chatbot based front ends um, that are popping up all over the place. They continue to win these deals. So another big one, another big two in the last week with Meta and, and Snap. That seems very big to me. Yeah. Uh, can you give us any sense of, I mean, we're just, I was just asking, you know, who's Google wor more worried about in, in that sort mm -hmm. of presentation they were giving over the, the phone? Um, I think you answered that well, but this seems to be another thing that's going to make some people sweat. 
to Google. Yeah, Google will sweat over this. I think Google will still have a lot of advantages, but their lead, their market share lead and advantages that they enjoyed for so many years in search and by extension, their sort of search APIs, what we're talking about now, is going to be a smaller lead versus Microsoft than what we're now seeing. It'll be it'll be more of a battle. It'll be more of a, a sort of um, a game to watch when it comes to uh, chatbot based um, underlying tech and the ad serving um, that that are that you know Google and Microsoft are going to be pretty formidable competitors in that world. Yeah, yeah. It seems like we're going to have more conversations like this about you know who hit the home run this week. Was it Google or Microsoft? So right. All right. I have a, a quick one. Uh, I, I mentioned hobby horses and dead horses a, a moment ago. Another one for me has always been WeWork. I always like to write about the trials and travails at WeWork. Um, yeah, I even had an ex-WeWork exec on the pod one one week, uh, Michael Hirschfeld, who is now in the fintech space. So there's a con- convergence of two worlds I take an interest in. So what, why, and I'm uh, reserving the right to flip it this week to who lost the week. And we, it's WeWork because they skipped out on a $95 million interest payment um, on, you know, all the debt they have. And you could say who lost the week, they're, they're creditors. <laughs> but um, yep. this is part of a bigger story that I wrote about a couple of weeks ago. And I had a headline that said, WeWork doesn't seem to be working very well anymore. Bit of a wordy headline, but I was still proud of it. And uh, the the point of that piece was just that WeWork is in the process of trying to renegotiate all of its leases. Basically, its costs are out of control. And most of that cost is in the buildings they're leasing for their office space. Now, I think as an, I think this is part of leverage that they believe they have on their um, landlords, et cetera, to... Um, uh, to try to, you know, they, they're trying to get some cost relief. And I think they're they're tr- using whatever leverage they think they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what this is all about. So anyway, uh, it's part of the ongoing saga of the uh, the the increasingly untenable um, brand WeWork. And you are, I will forever give you credit for suggesting that they rebrand. I still think that's was a very good call on your part. Mm-hmm. So WeWork, you lost the week. Mike, right. why don't you read us out? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Charlie. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been This Week in Local. Stay tuned every week for more episodes. You can find the show on all major podcast networks and find out more at locology.com. So please subscribe, like, and comment. Your engagement helps others find us. So I'm Mike Bolin with Charles Lachlan. Our producer is Dara Sweat. So thanks for listening and see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Locology's This Week in Local with Mike Bolin and Charles Lachlan. Be sure to subscribe for more.